Hello, and you're listening to the Coffeehouse Football Cast. I'm Ryan Whiting. And I'm Paul Cushing. And I'm going to give some terrible news to Ryan later. <laughs> also, we're going to talk about uh, Newcastle, Arsenal, and the end of an era at Barcelona. And possibly the coming of age of Kylian Mbappe. Um, we're going to preview some of the new Champions League games coming up on Tuesday, such as... Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea, and Atalanta versus Real Madrid. And we're going to talk about some of the major games this weekend uh, in Europe, such as the Milan Derby, the Marseilleside Derby, and Crystal Palace in Brighton. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a very interesting derby we should talk about. It is called the A23 Derby. Never heard of it before today, when Paul pointed it out. So, we wanted to talk about PSG versus Barcelona to start, and this one, I mean, I don't want to say it, it hurt my heart, but you expect certain things um, out of life, and one of those things is Barcelona being one of the best teams in the world, and I think PSG kind of showed that they might not be. What do you think about that? You know, it's interesting. Barcelona's been up and down all year. You know, they haven't been great, but they've had some great games. Um, they've played some, so they play well in certain moments. But it, it's very clear that um, the team is just not what it used to be. There, there have been interesting transfer decisions and, uh, you know, coaching decisions that have been made that have made them another team, almost. It's really, really wild. I think, you know, they... They have plenty of great players, and it seems like they all just don't fit together. You know, like there are players such as De Jong and Dembele and Griezmann, and it's not like they're they have less world class players, but for some reason, the way they are together just doesn't seem to work. And Lionel Messi is what thirty four now, thirty three. He's, He's getting up there, you know, and he doesn't, you know, like he can't carry a whole team on his back anymore. You know, and I think there start there's the, these well, signs are coming <laughs> to to fruition where that he's just not that player anymore, and it's not I don't and I don't think it's his fault at all. You know, I think he does everything that he can to, to help this team win, and I still think he is a very efficient and very effective player. But I think there is um, a like there is a lot of there are a lot of pieces missing at that club right now. Um, and I, they, I think there's just a togetherness missing. I just don't think everyone is on the same page. Um, so one of my big takeaways uh, watching the match was, uh, one, I love Antoine Griezmann as a player. Um, I love his movement. Uh, he constantly finds ways to attack the defense in a way that they are uncomfortable with uh, without the ball, which I think is really important. And then the other big thing that I kind of noticed is, like, every time Dembele touched the ball, I expected nothing to happen. Um, and I don't know if that's kind of a like a me thing. Like, maybe I just don't like the player, but it felt like he wasted too many opportunities that he probably shouldn't have, either by giving the ball away with a cheap... or with, like, a cheap giveaway, or there were a couple of shots where, like, they just weren't very good um, for a guy that is supposed to be the caliber of player that uh, Dembele is. It's interesting. Dembele, Dembele is an interesting player because he's been hurt so much, and I think putting him in such an environment, such as this game, I think is was I think is a difficult was a difficult place to put him in. I think um, not to say that he shouldn't have been prepared and, and been ready for this game, but I think you know he's been healthy maybe. He, he's been hurt more than he's been healthy at Barcelona in his two or three years. Yeah. Been there. So it, it's a difficult thing. And then Griez, Griezmann, the problem I have with Griezmann is that he, like, he does some really things really, really well, but it doesn't fit for Barcelona. Yeah. You know, like, I think he's always occupying spaces that Messi wants to occupy. And I think there's just always this fight between them. It's never, it's never, it's never smooth. It's never um, intuitive. It's always like, fighting to figure out how you're going to work together and I think that's always going to be that way you know I think Griezmann yeah. really loves when center midfielders sit back in our center midfielders and he can move around and play where he wants to play and find the channels and run behind and possibly sometimes and pressure hard 
And I don't think they, they suit any, this team suits any of his strengths in any manner or form. But he does know how to be effective in a team. And I, I think he was pretty effective on uh, Tuesday night. Um, but yeah, he did. Was, uh, he was playing uh, left wing at one point. Yeah. And they did pass the ball right in behind him, and uh, Dest was the guy that played him on side. But like Griezmann is like ten yards, yeah. uh, ten yards off the guy running in behind him. Yeah, and that's I. I just don't think he should have been in that position. That's not. I don't think that's really his his game. No, he's he, not a winger. He's he's a he's a he's a striker he's a he, or he's a center he's a central player maybe he's like a false number nine or like an out and out striker but yeah. he's that kind of player yeah i was gonna say he's he's a goal scorer that's what that's what he does he, he wants to go right. score goals and yeah. he'll he'll pass the ball and he'll he'll play hold up for a little guy he's pretty good at like some hold up stuff oh but. yeah he's excellent at the hold up play and um, i i think if you're talking about six or seven years ago when he was playing for uh sociedad i yeah. think you know you could say that um you know, maybe he could have been that player, but I think um, at this point he's a central player. Right, he's he's Antoine Griezmann now, not you know <laughs> Antoine Griezmann. Yeah. Um. So, it's uh, that's it is a tough spot because I I think you have a really good point about uh the Messi. Messi always wants to kind of be where Griezmann also wants to be because you know they are both kind of goal scorers, and it's uh, it is an interesting kind of. Uh, tension and how the side operates with yeah. that. They've had a problem with that with Coutinho as well. Coutinho mm-hmm. and Messi are very, like, they're in a way very similar players in how they like to move and where the kind of spaces they like to move into. And I think, in a way, that's why Coutinho, Coutinho suffers when they play together because of that, you know, sort of movement. If Coutinho's on his own, he plays in that team without Messi, I think in time, Coutinho would actually flourish a little bit because there's not that other element of of Messi, like, of, of Messi moving, wanting the ball in these areas where Coutinho would normally want him, and then Coutinho having to find space somewhere else, and, and this and that. And yeah. I will say, the other problem that they have is a lot of their their defending isn't very good. Yeah. Unfortunately, they do not defend very well, and I think centrally they're really poor now. Like, I think yeah. PK is past it at this point. Busquets is past it at this point. They're both, like, 30 four thirty five. Yeah, you know, like they're, like they're getting old. <laughs> you know, and I think there's also you know, the end of the era is is this idea that, you know, La La Masia is like what was producing all these great talents and great players to produce for the team. Like that whole element of connecting the club with its roots of the the lo- localness of the team is is almost gone at this point. You know, there are some younger players like Ricky Puig and Mengeza and these some of these guys that are young and from from Barcelona that are, you know, growing and hopefully Pantry is another guy who hopefully will be a big deal for them in the future. But for now, they're going to go through this transition phase of being average unless they buy, unless they find defenders and a couple other players. I mean, Ter Stegen was left out to dry yeah. most of that match. And he, I think it, it could have been worse. He was very good. Yeah, he was excellent. He had a couple of, couple of difficult moments trying to clear the ball, but he also kind of had been getting shelled all game so it was you know I, I think he was he was pretty good even even with his couple of like side side foots yeah um, I mean he's he's always been excellent for them I think he, he's he, for a long time he was covering up a lot of mistakes and a lot of errors from from Barcelona and I you know I feel he must feel you know so worn out from having to constantly do it um, and I think there's a point now where the, he can't like he's just it's just not possible anymore um, yeah. I mean. uh, so part of part of them looking bad. We'll, we'll move to the other side. Yeah. Uh, before we we we're gonna talk about Kylian Mbappe, but before we get there, uh, their compatriots are on the other side of the ball defensively. Uh, PSG was very good. They were they were very good defensively. They're, uh, yeah, they're excellent. Pochettino's got a very excellent an excellent system and how. Uh, to manipulate players and move people out of the way. Like, he, he was great at Tottenham with that. I thought he got the best out of some of those players like Christian Eriksen yeah. and Harry Kane. And, um, and in this match, the, the player he he wanted to succeed more than anyone was um, Verratti. Yeah. He wanted him to be the guy to kind of move things around. And he's, he's he let been, him be the heart of the, heart of the machine. excellent for them yeah. since, since um, Pochettino's been manager and 
they have all the pieces there. You know, they're all there. I mean, they have every piece there to win, to win a Champions League. It's yeah. not like it's not there. It's just building a cohesive unit and to take some of the individualism out and make them more of some of their parts in some instances and then allow some of those individual acts to just flourish and shine. And I think you're going to start to see it with a guy like Mbappe who was at, like... Oh, my God. He's at another level now, I think. And I think a guy like Pochettino is only going to bring more out of him. He's only going to be more excellent. And the thing that's scary is is that there's this possibility he could leave next year or this year. And I wonder if things go really well here and maybe they won a Champions League this year, if he'll just end up staying a couple more years and learn more under Pochettino because because he thinks he's going to find more knowledge and even be a better player and just constantly score and no yeah. one can stop him because he has that ability to uh, just... There was there was one possession where he gets the ball and three Barcelona defenders sort of like converge on him and he just goes through them all. Yeah. And he does it just by being really quick and like real strong and he just like keeps the ball on his feet and just keeps going and these guys just cannot touch him. And like it, it was crazy to watch. Um, every time he drifted inside, you could see Barcelona's like like alarm sirens kind of going off. It was like, hey, this could end real poorly for us. Um, and when he was on the wing, they were like they were okay. It was kind of hey, you know, like we we can deal with this. But as soon as he started drifting inside, it was uh, it was super dangerous, and you you could see. Um, obviously, he had the hat trick, uh, and I think he earned all of them. Uh, even the one where he, the ball just kind of falls to him in the box, and he just like sort of takes the step and like <laughs> rounds the defender before anybody else even knows what's going on. It was, yep. oh God, if you want to see like just an overpowering attacker uh, for a game, this was a great one. Uh, he just he was out of his mind good he well the thing the thing is too is he's got physical attributes he's also just very intelligent off the ball i think you know like on the ball he's also very intelligent he can create for other players but he he's such so good at manipulating space so he's always has tons of it you know like there are tons of there are so many fast players in in leagues and stuff who can run a million miles an hour and, and do all these things but the thing that's special about mbappe is that he knows how to create the spaces where he is going to be the most lethal yeah and now he's understanding that even more and i think the next part of his game which will come is that he'll learn that when players come to him he'll find the guy that's going to be in the most lethal position to score goals he's going to be then no one will stop him no one and i think right now he's got a little handrail with neymar and some of these players that are near him he can literally just score goals and be considered awesome great which is i mean it's hard to say i mean you can play i think you can play anywhere anytime yeah. and be amazing you can play on the right side you can play on the left side you can play in the middle he's, he's just a great player he's yeah. just an amazing player but i think in time i think that's going to be his thing he's going to be a better version of Thierry Henry, which i think is a very very scary thing if you're another <laughs> team he's coming from an arsenal fan because Thierry Henry was the greatest player in the premier league era like hands down there's no one better than him I mean, there's some really good players that came out of the Premier League, but he is—he was the most dominant, I think, at the time. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, so Kylian Mbappe, it's your time. I think without Neymar, it's—I think if you can bring them as far as you possibly can, I think the Champions League is PSG's strongly. Uh, it will be interesting if Neymar comes back and they start struggling. What? People will start saying, I think. No, um, that's not gonna happen. You don't. I. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think it'll happen either. But if. But if it does. If um, it does, you're right. You're right. Uh, Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea. Uh, what? What do you got for this one? So Atletico has been the best team in La Liga this year, and they're kind of coasting right now. They've. <laughs> they've. They've had a couple little hiccups recently, but. For the most part, they've been excellent. And Luis Suarez looks like one of the buys of the season. You know, like he's been really good. He's scored a ton of goals. And, you know, Atletico aren't as 
well, no, you have boring to... to watch as they have been in the past. Uh, I mean, they are, they've been really tough at times to watch, and I feel like they've actually been attacking and, and creating more, which is something that they don't normally do. Um, I wonder if they'll revert to type a little bit against this Chelsea team, or if they're going to continue on like they normally do, like they normally have this year, and, and create chances and, you know, put Chelsea on the back foot. Um, now, I wonder what Thomas Tuchel has in order for Atletico. I think there is a possibility that this could go either way. You know, um, Chelsea looks like they have something going on right now. Like, they look like they have some sort of stability and some sort of uh, idea of what they want to do. And I just wonder if it's too early for this match or if there will be some sort of coming of age. Like, Timo Werner scored recently. I hope that he plays and and kind of goes is starting to understand what his role will be and hopefully he'll you know continue to be better because I do think he's going to be excellent for Chelsea I know that people don't want that to be in the case but he Timo will be Bear. good he will be very good for them um and they have a lot of good pieces I just think you know it just is going to take a little time to figure all them out and Tuchel's bringing people back from the dead <laughs> I mean I mean Marcus Alonso has been excellent for them strangely and then you know they've they've you know, he's put in a system where they're just kind of playing really smart and they're very solid and they're not really giving up a lot of chances. And, you know, I think it's edge Atletico right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea pull out a result. Well, uh, yeah, in comes the heel. Atletico Madrid, uh, so he said that they, they didn't used to score a lot of chances. What he didn't tell you is they uh, they like to line teams up. They They're not very nice. And I think that this young Chelsea side is the exact team that they might revert a little bit more to their, their dark arts because I think they are the kind of side that you could get off their get get them off their game by uh by frustrating them. And Atletico Madrid is, I would say, about the best team in the world at that when they want to. Right. And I I wonder I wonder if they won't necessarily need to go there unless things don't go their way. Like if they give right. up a penalty penalty and, and uh, or they give up a really weird goal and Oblak is beaten in some weird way. I think I think they'll they're gonna you know I mean they're they're a good team. They got Luis Suarez who's, you know, a really good goal scorer. Um, say, or they have a lot of great <laughs> little they've got a lot of wonderful players. Yeah. And they're so defensively solid. Even mm-hmm. even with their attacking play, I mean, I think they've given up like, I don't know, like thirteen or fourteen goals yeah. all year this year in Spain. I mean, they've so been solid, absolutely Im- immense back there. I mean, yeah. um, and Oblak is you know best goalkeeper in the world right now, in my opinion. There's no one better. And I mean, he's also helps. It also helps that the style suits like helping goalkeepers more. Yeah. But he's, I think he's the best shot stopper in the world. He's a very very good distributor. And he's excellent at communicating with his defenders. And I think if Atletico lose this, I think it will be. A, I do think it will be an upset. I think Atletico are the team. They're one of these teams that I think will make it to the final. You know, they'll make it to the semifinal, final sort of range if they stay consistent and stay the way they are, which is, you know, being consistent, holding. You know, holding teams to limited chances and creating just enough to score goals but they're kind of fun to watch right now which i'm i'm happy about i will say two nothing with a yellow card to luis suarez (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i would say yeah i would say probably one or two nil atletico i don't know if it'll get to three or four i think it'll there'll be a chance for chelsea in the return to to turn it around yeah Um, Uh, i think if they get two goals i think atletico madrid will be very happy to just let Chelsea keep the ball in their half. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yep, I think, yep. So, uh, so the other game that we were going to talk about was uh, Atalanta versus uh, Real Madrid. And we get to talk about most both Madrid teams this week. Uh, but one is the best team in La Liga, and the other is not the best team in La Liga. Number two, uh, and Liga. it is reversed from normal. Uh, what's going on with Real Madrid? Well, Real Madrid are... Um, it's sort of fascinating to watch them, too, because they're also they're, they're also really a solid team. They But they're also becoming... This is an end of an era for Real Madrid, much like Barcelona. You know, there are a lot of players in that team that are older. 
and the youth hasn't necessarily like broken through just yet and i think they're going also going through this weird transition of who are those players going to be who do they need to sign who do they need to give up um and they are they are a very old team they are very i mean in certain areas they're very very old um yeah. you know uh ramos is 35 modric is 35 Kroos is 31 um um benzema is 33 um Eden Hazard is 30. Eden Hazard is 30, who has been maybe one of their worst buys in Real Madrid history. Right. I don't know if there's been anyone worse than than, than him so far. And I hate to say it because he's such, he was such a wonderful player to watch. Even as an Arsenal fan, he's he was excellent to watch when he played for Chelsea. He, I would hate him so much because he would score so many goals against Arsenal. And I'd just sit here and be like, oh, and and he's he just score here. You had to foul him because, like, he made you? Like, it was... And and that's maybe caught up to him here with all of his injuries, but, like, he just... He would beat everyone, and you just sort of, like... Just by playing defense, you you were kicking him. Like, regardless of whether you were trying to or not. Yeah, he was such a... <laughs> he's such a direct player, generally, and he's such an effective dribbler. I wouldn't say he's, like, a like a stylistically beautiful dribbler, but he knows how to beat people. Yeah, just you know, he, he would just go out and guys. find space and and the thing with him is there's something that happened right before he you know really started at Real Madrid is that he went on vacation after he signed and he came back and he was 20 pounds overweight, yep. 15 or 20 pounds overweight, and then I don't think he's ever recovered from that. Yeah, I he hasn't recovered from that yet. I think he's yeah. still like trying to catch up to that moment, and it's you know, uh, and at a. At a side like Real Madrid, once once the moment's passed, it gets very hard to catch that wave. Yeah, and um, and so, I mean, I think they're going through this very interesting transition. And I think, un, unlike Barcelona, uh, in my opinion, I think Real Madrid are going to have a more difficult time because they're going to have to spend more money than Barcelona to recover or to to build the squad. Not to say that the La Castilla is is. Um, um, is doesn't develop great talent. I think it's because they don't use it ever. You know, like, there's not many <laughs> players. Yeah, you know, like there's a few players here and there. There's like Raúl and yeah. um, oh, El Rey. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Casillas, Igor Casillas, um, and then there's a couple of other players here or there. But they don't. That's not their thing. Right. Like Guti was another guy, but that's like a generation in the past. Like El Galacticos, yeah. you go out and get the best, and then they go, and then they then they supplement them with Ronaldo and Zidane and Beckham and all that, and that's great. But now it's like, what are the what's this next? What's this next generation? What's the next wave? Where are these young players that are going to come in and fill in for them? You know, and this is where the questions come in. It's like they let Odegaard go to yeah. Arsenal on loan. It's like, is he part of the future? You know, like they're like it's been they, good for, for Arsenal, and and so in this tie, you know, you've got an Ant- Atalanta team who have been very good. They're they're sixth or seventh in La Liga uh, uh, and in Serie A right now, but they play a very very attack styled game, and they mm-hmm. like to score goals and like to be and they like to press and to do these things, and it's going to cause Real Madrid problems. You know, Atalanta got to a quarterfinal and were within two minutes of making it to a semifinal over PSG. They're so, so close. and they, uh, can beat anyone on their day. They can beat anyone on their day, and they could put up numbers, too. It's not yeah. like they could beat them, like, 1-0. They could win, like, 4, 3 or 4-1, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's... Real Madrid has to score four or five goals to, to win the next match. When they smash and grab, they take everything in the safe. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they're not necessarily a smash and grab team. They're great right. at possession. They have excellent attackers, and they know how to create chances. So, uh, uh, you know, like this game is going to be re- – I think this is a really tricky one for Real. And I know people are going to say, oh, Real should just walk this. But I, I promise you, this is not going to be – this could be like a 5-4 finish and if Real Madrid are on the wrong side of that I'm not going to be surprised about it yeah um they're I think they are a slight favorite obviously I mean they have the the individual talent that should beat an Atalanta but to say that they're that they're ultimate favorites mm, I can't give you that right now I think I think it's it's a very it's a very tight call right now and I think if Real Madrid lose this first match they will be in some serious trouble because I don't know if they'll be able to recover like they used to in the past. Uh, Atalanta is the kind of team that when you are uh, when you are not playing well, 
they capitalize, and that's sort of where Real Madrid finds themselves. Although I think we both agree that we would we probably expect Real Madrid right. will survive right. it. Yeah, right. right. Um, but it it could be closer than people think. Now it's time to enter into our personal uh, team worlds, and I have some really bad news to deliver to Ryan because Sunderland AFC rival and Derby. Uh, Derby rival to Newcastle has a new owner, a multi-billionaire owner, of Cairo Louis Dreyfus. He's French. He's French, and he's got plenty of money. Uh, he's been lots part owner. <laughs> he's got lots of money. He's part owner uh, of Marseille, which he's relinquished to be part of the Sunderland AFC. And it only sounds like he is going to turn his Sunderland back into, or possibly into, a really big club. I will give a couple of prefaces here. One, he has gone to school. He has his Harvard MBA, and he has training in football um, and football acumen and football directing. Oh, so I sure hope he's a footballing genius. Yeah, he, he he may not be a footballing <laughs> genius, but he ha- he understands how the the how clubs work and how football you know sort of works in Europe and the business of it and the business of it. And he will find the right people in place. And I guarantee you, he's going to develop an academy. And he's gonna it's going to take a little time, but. In the next three to five years, don't expect Sunderland to be back in the Premier League and to be making teams' lives difficult again. They're in uh, League Two right now, right? They're in League One. They're in League One. They're seventh in League One. They've had a really tough three or four years. (laughs) And if you have a chance to watch their documentary, I think it's on Netflix. It is very interesting. It's excellent. And it just shows how, when a club is run poorly, how badly it can affect the people around them. And those fans love that team so much. And you just... You just feel for him so badly. And I think for culture-wise, you should check that out if you have time. Um, but yeah, so, Brian, how do you feel about it? Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel great. It's just good good for them. I'm glad that they're... I'm glad that they haven't been uh, dissolved. That's that's nice for them. Um, but no, uh, it, it sounds like Sunderland's going to be good again, which is, which is great. It's great. Um, I... So... <laughs> So uh, we've only we've only been trying a takeover for like five years now. Uh, but hey, but hey, Sunderland's just gonna walk in with their fancy new billionaire. They just they found him somewhere. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Oh, God, it's <laughs> we we could have had Saudi blood money. Um, oh yeah. So I just I hope that um. I hope that we get the Tyneside Derby in the championship as we're going down and they're coming to take our job uh, of being oh, mid-table please. Premier League. There'll be a Premier, you'll be a Premier League team when they're a Premier League team again, and it will be wonderful because those Tyne wear derbies are fantastic to watch. Um, and I cannot wait for that. You know, and I can't wait for the insanity of Paulo Di Canio running onto a field in excitement because he beat Newcastle three 0 at home uh, at, at Newcastle or any of those things. You know, um, but I, I would say this that it, it might just might force Mike Ashley to spend some money and develop some things there. Might, 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 because if he sees Sunderland in the top five or top six, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be that happy about it, or he just likes his money and he doesn't give. He is also possibly the case. Too. I am fully convinced that he keeps the team because he hates us. Um, but hate is such a strong word. Yeah, you're right. He uh, he does not care about us at all because he has pools of money to swim in. <laughs> but but yeah, no. I you heard you heard my sigh. Uh, I I don't know what could convince Ashley to spend money. Um, he did spend forty-five million on a Brazilian striker. That was, that was nice. Um, and I, li- I like Joel Linton. I don't, I don't, I'm not disparaging him. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we get, we get Manchester United in a, uh, in in a battle of the Uniteds, and uh, and they're probably gonna smash us. Um, <laughs> I, I. Hope so. We lost two nil to Chelsea last week, and uh, and I'd take that here. Um, goal differential is going to be important at the end of the year. Uh, so if we only lose by two, that's okay. Uh, if we could, if we could get one, if it was like two one or three one, that'd be cool. Because 
You don't that think we uh, scored a goal. You don't think that's uh, the United uh, that Newcastle could uh, you know pull and pull up an upset or or you know get a draw out of this game because I, I do I mean there there is that possibility that could happen I do think I, I wouldn't rule it out but <laughs> Manchester United just went to Sociedad and and rocked uh, Real Sociedad four 0 in the Europa League so. I wonder if if there's a possibility they could trip up here because of that. You know, they won a they won their big game and now, you know, and they have done this Manchester United. This isn't the this may yeah. not be the first time. So, yeah. and they have to play Sociedad again um, the following Thursday. So, I wonder. So, you know, uh, I guess my my in depth analysis is uh, if if uh, Manchester United decides to lose to Newcastle United, it might happen. Um, but, but it's, so we're just, we're, we play kind of bad soccer. Um, and I don't think we're going to put a lot of pressure on Manchester United to lose the game. So if they have a bad day and we manage to, to steal a goal or two, we might upset them, but it's, I, we're such a shaky team at best and like, all it takes is for things to go poorly a little bit and John Joe Shelby to sulk and then you're in behind our defense and you know you might and you get one and I think Manchester United uh I I think I fully expect them to win I fully expect them to win pretty well uh if they're going to trip up they I guess have to fall on their own swords because I'm I'm not sure we have any anymore uh and I'm maybe being a little too critical but I, when we score goals, it's kind of cause for celebration. Like four one, if if we got one, it's like hey, at least we scored a goal. Um, it's, Such a depressing thing to hear. It's 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 been pretty bad. It's, I was gonna think like you know you know like it's gonna be difficult because they have Rashford and Greenwood and Martial <laughs> and Bruno Fernandez and and you know they have all these wonderful attacking players and Pogba and all this, but you know like defense they can be had defensively United. If Dean Henderson starts again on on Sunday, yeah, I think that would be a problem because I think with the hanging goal, I think there's more of an opportunity to get the, the result. Strangely, which is such a strange thing to say because, you know, you think De Gea is one of those top goalkeepers in the world, but Dean Henderson is was excellent at Sheffield United last year. I yes. think he's one of the biggest reasons why Sheffield United aren't playing well this year because he is a much better distributor than people realize. Yeah. And which is huge. He is a monster of a foot. He has a ball yeah. like seventy-five yards in the air. <laughs> they created a chance. I think they created a chance um, yesterday in the Sociedad game where you yeah. literally just get a ball like way over the top. I think I don't know if it was Rashford. Someone cl- l- latched onto it and almost scored. Right, it was yeah. Rashford, and then the keeper made an excellent save from from Real Sociedad. So uh, when you yeah. can beat uh, when you can beat all the lines of defense from your goalkeeper. Right. Uh, you got a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Manchester City have done it. Uh, I've been doing it, and um, Liverpool are excellent at it too. They they yeah. like to sometimes play that. They can play a really long ball at the top, yeah. and it's not necessarily a bad thing. People think that long balls are are boring, but sometimes it's it can be effective. You know, that's why you always have to, different ways of playing than just one. Yeah, one way. Um, Catch them off guard. And yeah. All of a sudden, it, it rattles your confidence. Even if you don't score, it, it like right. now you have to be wary of it, and it, it can make things happen for you. What's the result, you think? Oh, God. Uh, so I will be charitable to Newcastle United uh, and say 2-0. Um, 2-0. I feel like that would... I feel like Manchester United is good for at least two, and I'm not sure that Newcastle is good for any. So I think I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna surprise you. I think it's gonna be three to United. I think, think it's, yeah. I think okay. and you know, and I think it is how it's gonna go. I think Newcastle are gonna go up two nil, and I think United are gonna come back <laughs> and win in the final minutes, and, lose, and they'll lose three two at, at Old Trafford. I, I don't know. There's something about it. I think, I think Manchester yeah. United are gonna come out a little sluggish after their romping of Real Sociedad. And I think Newcastle might sneak a goal or two in at the beginning of the match at like the first like 20, 25 minutes. And then I think United will come in and I think that's the possibility that they could. If we, uh, if we score goal. two within the first 30 minutes, um, I might be uh, too excited to remember that I'm terrified that that's actually going to happen <laughs> because that's absolutely going to happen. Right. Um, it's, and it will be, 
It's going to be great. Uh, so, <laughs> so on to Arsenal. Yes. Arsenal, Man City this week, this weekend, which is, I mean, I, it's going to be a good match. I, I fully expect Manchester City to win. They've won now 17, 16, 17 straight matches in a row. They just swept aside Everton 3-1 to one on Wednesday, and Arsenal drew 1-1 to Benfica in a match that Arsenal probably should have won 4-5-1. to one. I mean, Pat Aubameyang had about three or four chances he should have put in the back of the net, and he just did not. They were clearly the better team, and I do fully expect them to move on into the next round when they play again next Thursday. They they are just the better team, and I think they're going to figure it out. They also were offside, I think, 11 times in the match or something ridiculous <laughs> like that, which is, you don't hear that very often anymore in, in any sort, actually... of, sort of soccer sense or football sense. And, um I would actually say that that probably uh, that probably is indicative of the fact that you you realized you were significantly better and like you you guys were just trying to blow by him because you could. Well, it's interesting. I think that was the game plan was to get in behind because yeah. their defense can't run back. You know, like they, sometimes you you don't necessarily play, especially a guy like Aubameyang. Yeah, like with Aubameyang and Saka's Saka's extremely quick, and they yeah. wanted Saka in behind through the middle through the channel, and they yeah. just couldn't. They didn't either didn't pair it up right or, or whatever, but I do think in the coming round, and they do have the away goal, which is a big deal. I think they will move on, and I think it will be fair. Hopefully, it will be fairly easy. But this Manchester City game, I expect Arsenal to actually, you know, pull some of their players back and play a latent squad, and I don't expect them to win this match, but I do expect them to compete in this match. You know, I think Manchester City are now. Head, in a, head, of, head over heels above everyone else right now in the Premier League. And I think they're going to run away with this title. I think this is... I, it's It's been very clear since, I think, November that they're the best team in the Premier League. I they, think they're... Uh, sort of have uh, sort of morphed into that proverbial fire-breathing monster where they just... you They have impenetrable scales and uh, and when they when they decide to attack, they just... You know, can do whatever they want. So, yes. and they're, they're This is their best built squad. I mean, they've they've actually had didn't haven't had De Bruyne, and um, uh, they missed Gundogan for a couple games, and Aguero's been out, and yet they've been winning and winning and winning. And I think the thing is, is that they're so solid defensively now, uh, with Stones and Garcia, uh, um, and Ruben Diaz, and Ayer like Ayerik Laporte, and, and I think. All of those players in there, and in the defensive mid spot's been really solid with Rodri and Fernandinho. That they, they, they are just there's they don't give any big chances up. It's very yeah. rare that they do, and the teams it's hard to get behind them, and they people can't play in the middle, and it's it's just really tough to build on them. I mean, they have the best defense in the Premier League right now, yeah. and the second best is actually Arsenal. The two best defenses wow. in the Premier League, strangely. Um, it's gonna be what two one, one <laughs> maybe one nil. I, <laughs> I think it, it might be more. I think Manchester City are probably gonna win like three to one, oh, okay. possibly. Yeah, I like every time so far. Like the last three or four times, like Manchester City have come out and just pounced on Arsenal and, and have scored three goals or two goals really quickly, and like the game's been over. But I do think there's real progress in Gerard Teta. I think you're starting to see some of the things that Pep has taught him, and then some of the things Wenger has taught him. And, and some of the other influences he has uh, under David Moyes as well, because he worked under him as a, as a player at Everton. And I think that there is there is a very good style of play that is slowly being bored out of it. I think he needs to bring in more players. I think they need to sign Odegaard permanently if they can. He's been excellent for them. He was excellent, excellent with them on Thursday. He created essentially created the goal for them um, for soccer to score. I think he will be, if they do sign him, I think he's kind of the next kind of Burkampian sort of player. He's going to be that kind of guy. And I think that's excellent for Arsenal because they, they miss a guy like that. And I think Emil Smith-Rowe's been very good. If he got he got slacked because he wasn't great out there, say, but I think he's transitioning to be a little bit out wide. But they're going to move those three guys around, Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, because I do yeah. think they're going to keep Odegaard in there. Um it's interesting to see who else is going to be playing with them. And I think defensively they're becoming more solid, but I do think they need... I want Pablo Marie playing again. I think he is... I really do think he's the key to solidifying that back four. I don't know why he hasn't been playing recently. Maybe he's not fully healthy. And with Kieran, uh, Kieran Tierney back, 
I do think that will help. I don't think they'll start, any of those players will really start. I think they're really going to bring in like a second yeah. squad because the more important thing is the Europa League and they need to win the Europa League. I don't think anyone realizes how important it is for them to, to make it at least to the final because if they yeah. don't win, they probably won't go to Europe next year and that will change everything for them. Yeah. Um, but I do Europe think is important. Europe is important for them and it's more important than some other clubs possibly right now. Um, but I do think they'll be okay. And I think with under Arteta, they're they're going to figure it out, and they'll be, I think, a consistent title contender. Maybe not a winner every year, but I think if they do win a title in the next three or four years, I think it'll be a major achievement. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. you guys will you'll do the classic Arsenal thing where you'll hang around the top four for a long time. For I think again, perpetuity, yeah. perpetuity. <laughs> People realize, like uh, I think Nacho around Montreal, who played for Sociedad, came out and. Um, came out in defense of Arsene Wenger after he mm-hmm. had left and people wanted him out. Everyone wanted him out. Or it was like, yep. you know, like I had my period where I was like, you know, maybe it is time for him to move on. It's been 22 years and maybe they need a fresh face. And now I'm starting to see it and he realized, man, he kept everything together for them for so long. Mm-hmm. And he was so good and he was such a, he was also just a good human being. He treated people with such respect. Um, he created so many things at that. He built the, the training facility, the, the new stadium. Like, people don't realize, like, the only reason that stadium was built is because he had to sign a contract so that they could promise that the team would be good when he went to the new stadium. Like, that's how important he was at the club for that long. Yeah. You know, and I think people underestimated the importance of that man. And I think he should be revered for the rest of his life if you're an Arsenal fan. Like, do not, I think slagging him or slagging him and, and and talking down to him is like one of the worst things you can do as an Arsenal fan. And I'm, I am calling uh, Arsenal fans out on that big time because it's unbelievable and crazy that he is treated so poorly sometimes. You know, yes, maybe it didn't go so well at the end, but he gave so much more than just those last four or five years. Um, <clears throat> uh, here's the soapbox. I'm going to go put it over in the corner. <laughs> that's, that's all right with everyone. Fair enough, fair enough. So, Paul... Um, it occurs to me, we've been talking about derbies, and some people might not know what that is. Would you like to explain a derby? Okay, so derbies, in general, are when two teams are from the same town or city, and they play against each other. So there's a very intense local rivalry. So they, li- they both clubs are within a couple of miles, or five or seven miles within each other, and they play against each other. So let's think like, like Yankees and Mets would technically be a derby series. We call that the Subway Series here in the United States. So, you know, anytime you see, like, London, and uh, I mean, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea, those are two London teams. Um, Fulham and QPR is another one. They're both West London teams. Arsenal and Tottenham, North London, um, Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. Those are the types of things that we're talking about, okay, with derbies. Generally, when it's outside of that, they become rivalries because they're not necessarily in the same city but they're you know they play all the time like Manchester United and Arsenal is considered to be a great rivalry you know those types of things but when it's generally like Manchester City Manchester United that's a derby that's like both there's a red side of the city and a blue side of the city sometimes they intermingle but when the teams play they hate each other you know Um, or or they dislike each other very much (laughs) so uh when it is a true derby they usually sell tickets at roughly 50 50 maybe slight edge to the home teams no, it's, or so like with regards to the seating and such it's still yeah. very much like the home whoever has a home team has the majority of the home mm-hmm. fans and there's okay. a small section for the away fans <laughs> you know so like there's this like so at the manchester derby like you might go to old trafford and it's all red except for this small section the small section sky blue, blue. <laughs> yeah and they're singing right now and because they're top of the league yeah um same thing with arsenal and tottenham you might see a whole ring of red and then a small, small spattering of white. <laughs> um, hopefully, Arsenal singing that they're you know, you know, top of the league and whatever it is, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's the idea. So it's very family friendly. They don't they don't sing about being top of the league. They say disparaging things about people's yes. mothers. <laughs> yes, I, you know, as a, someone who's experienced these derbies, I've, I experienced Fulham and QPR actually uh, two or three years ago. Sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, it was very interesting, and uh, for a moment, a hint uh, dangerous. Uh, <laughs> it was very interesting, but uh, yeah, so Fulham and QBR are about a mile away from each other. They're yeah. very close, and we went to Craven Cottage, and 
it was very cool. They, you know, this, the stadium's real, like, generally kind of small. It's like 22,000. Now I think it'll be like 28,000 after the renovation. And they, it was just a, it was a championship match too. And it was packed. <laughs> and the, the QPR fans are sitting there singing. And then, like, you know, the Fulham fans are throwing up the middle fingers back at them and singing back. And then there's, like, this whole back and forth. And you can hear them singing throughout the match. And then, you know, Fulham fans are singing and cheering their team on. And Fulham went up 2-0, right? right? They went up 2-0 at halftime and then gave up two bad goals oh. to go draw 2-2. And then as we're leaving, um, um, you could hear uh, the QPR fans as they're leaving. And they're singing, you fucked it up 2-0, you fucked it up 2-0, we'll see you here next year, we'll see you here next year. Because at the time, Fulham was, you know, fighting to be in the Premier League, yep. they were at the top of the table and all of that, and it was just so funny. So they're sitting there singing and they're chanting, and, and, it's, and it was amazing, and it was just really yep. funny. But there was this little hint of danger because the QPR fans came out with the Fulham fans, and then the police there were on their horses, and we were like, yeah, maybe we're just gonna get out of here uh so i'm uninvolved with this yeah i'm not involved in this we were just enjoying a really cool game and a really cool atmosphere and yeah. so yeah so it was it was actually quite cool so those are derbies and that does happen quite a bit and they do sing back and forth at each other and there's you know you know people in america think like the, the scarves are a thing this is that doesn't necessarily happen in england but they are definitely singing and telling you how bad your team is and all the terrible things that happen to your team <laughs> and like why your mom is a terrible fan because you know you know she roots for arsenal and all that but it's very very cool um i i love how nice you are about that that's yeah. That's not what they're saying. No, that's not necessarily <laughs> what they're saying. They're very, it can get really rancid and nasty about it. But it's, but that's kind of the gist of it is in a PG sense. Um, but yeah, they did sing that at the end of the match. They fucked it up to nil. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll see you here next year. And, uh, which is just, really funny. Which is just A plus. Like, hey, we suck, but guess what? You'll be here with us next year. Yeah, because yeah, uh, QPR finished like 15. <laughs> right. Ridiculous like that. So uh, let's start with one that is probably a little bit more fun, and then we'll go to the one that is probably a little bit more dangerous. So let's talk about Merseyside. Oh, yeah, Merseyside. So, you know, Liverpool and Everton are pretty, you know, like for the most part, Liverpool, you know, the fans on each side are, you know, very actually fairly pleasant to each other. It's not... Like, this one where, like, if you root for Everton, like, I might punch you in the face if I see you in the street sort of thing. Right. It's more of, like, oh, we're all Liverpool uh, natives, and we're all Liverpoolian and Scousers, and that's cool. But but when it comes to the rivalry, they, they do, like, still do their singing, and they, like, you know, go after each other and this and that. Like, they, they still sing and taunt each other, but, um, but it's a little different. And this matchup is actually quite good because there is a lot of top floor implication right now with these two teams. Like, they both need to win this match if they want to think about European places. And, you know, Liverpool had a good result this week um, in the Champions League. They won 2-0 at Leipzig, which is huge for them. You know, Everton struggled against Manchester City, but everyone's kind of struggling against them. And I <laughs> no kind of expect this to be a back-and-forth sort of match. You know, I think there are going to be a lot of goals scored in this game. I both teams are kind of suspect defensively right now. You know, they they're not neither of them are playing great defensively this year. I think Everton has been really they they have a, they're struggling at goalkeeper. They need a whole new thing going on over there. And both of them the players that they brought in are just not good enough in my Whoa, opinion. Who is their goalkeeper? So it's either it's um I think it's either Robin Olsen or Jordan Pickford. Let's either one. It's at I, that point at this point. Like, there's not that really was a moment sense. of uh, shot and prod for yeah, me, yeah. If, if you were wondering. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no consensus number one right now. So um, they're going to be looking for another goalkeeper in the summer, I think. I think Jordan Pickford will be gone and heading somewhere else because he just he hasn't been consistent enough recently. And I think it's been for a while now, too, almost two years. So um, I do expect Liverpool to pull out a win in this match i just uh i you know i think they have a little bit more than everton but i expect it to be like four three or five to four yeah. something something ridiculous like that i think a lot of goals will be scored and i think it will be a highly entertaining match which is great for the viewers yeah you uh it it's one where where goals will be scored early and uh and goals beget goals so yeah. there yeah. it's it will get loose uh because yeah. again neither of those teams can really 
really defend that. that well, yeah, and, you know, like there's just like a lot of really great attacking talent on yeah. both teams. Like, you know, the Calvert Lewin's been great, and they have the Charleston, Hamas, and you know yeah. Everton, and 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 you know, like you know, Liverpool have their players. They have Salah and Firmino, and and uh, and Mane, and the, the, they're both going to score goals. I think. I think yeah. it's just going to be you know one of those. How, games. how many? How many is what it is, and if it ends zero zero, I'm gonna be really disappointed. <laughs> but it might be, it might be a really fun zero zero. But I expect it to be. It, it will absolutely. Uh, if Jordan Pickford starts and it's zero zero, it will absolutely keep him in the Premiership. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It will be. It will be the reason why why like Sheffield United keeps him, um, or like goes and gets him, but. Uh, yes. so we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to the one with a a slight hint of danger, uh, the <laughs> Milan Derby. It's it's Italian. It's exotic. It's exotic. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little more intense. Yeah, there will be a more intensity. It is one and two right now. Milan mm-hmm. and, and Inter they're they're a point away from each other. So this has a ton of implication. Um, Milan have stuttered recently in the league. They were high flying and like way above everyone else, and then they've sort of stuttered and lost a couple matches, drawn a couple matches. And Inter has been playing very, very well. Um, I expect this to be high intensity. I expect a red card at some point. Um, <laughs> these games just yeah. overflow with emotion, even without the fans. And I think something is going to happen in this game. Um, I do expect. I don't know if this will be the same sort of thing as what happened in the Coppa Italia, where it was uh, um, Zlatan and Lukaku, mm-hmm. where that whole thing came out, and there was yeah. all this insanity. Um, um, and I don't know how this will turn out. I do think if I think it's probably one-one. You know, if Zlatan plays, I do think he'll score a goal. I think he will be yeah. the goal scorer. But I. I I'm not totally sure. Uh, Milan won in the Europa League this weekend. Or this week, excuse me, earlier this week. Um, oh, no, they actually ended up drawing. They ended up, they ended up drawing with 2-2, went 2-2 against yep. the, uh, Kresna. I think they're starting to stutter a little bit, but I do think they'll make up for it this weekend. I think they're going. I think there's a chance, if there is a win, I think it will be Milan over Inter. Uh, and it would be... It- would certainly help stop the slide to uh, to beat Inter. And there's nothing like a derby. Uh, like and these, here's the thing about these derbies too is that is that something about a derby day kind of changes how how you uh, how your form can go. Sometimes you know, like you spend sometimes you spend like a whole year playing really terrible, and then you play your derby team and you win, and all of a sudden. Things sort of change. Things just happen. Like, and that, at least you got the derby win, and yeah. then, like you build on it. Yeah, and even sometimes that's all that matters to some of these clubs. Yeah. Like, like, like to the fans of some of these clubs, it's like I don't care how you do the rest of the season. But if you beat, you know, if we beat Tottenham, that's it. We're cool. But it doesn't usually, you know, Arsenal have higher aspirations normally than that. But you know, that's kind of the idea. So there was uh, an anecdote I heard very recently about a team singing two uh, O. You you fucked it up. You'll see us next year. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, and that. Hey man, that made their whole year. That's yeah. all that all that mattered. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just matters. Those little things matter. <laughs> I do expect though. I, I, I think it's going to be a very tight affair. I, for some reason, I think Milan's going to win it. I don't know why. Every time Inter have had a big moment where they have, you know, needed to play really well, they've always fallen very like too short, fallen short of it. And I can't explain why. Like so, like last year they were in the European semifinals. They lost to Shakhtar Donetsk. Like a three nil, they got yeah. pounced on, and you're sitting there like, how is this? What's happening right now? Yeah, why are you losing to Shakhtar? Yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like this is an opportunity for you to. I can't. Yeah, I, I think that was it. And then, uh, you know, like, or maybe they won. I can't remember. I, I, I um, maybe I'm missing this, uh, missing this up. But I, you know, like they've had big moments and they had big chances to like do something, and they and they've kind of fallen at the hurdle. And I just wonder if this time, I don't know if it'll happen this time. I don't know if this will be different. Um, you know, uh, I think with Zlatan, I think they're just going to have that, uh, Milan are going to have that sort of little bit of, of uh, stableness, hopefully, that, and he won't allow himself to get um, to that point again. In the get, the, get a bad red card. Yeah, get he, sent off and, and do something stupid again. He Zlatan has that, that in him. <laughs> yes, I think he regretted that moment in against Inter because he realized that he cost his team. Yeah. And I think at 39, it's a little different than if you were 29. 
Yeah. You know, I think he understands that he needs to lead by example a little bit more and do a little bit more for the team instead of just for himself. So yeah. I wonder. He still scores a lot of goals. He when still he's out scores there. a lot of goals, and I think he's going to. I think he's going to. I think they're going to win one nil. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we have one more. So I, I want to bring this up because it, this is not. A, <laughs> this is not, a really weird and interesting thing. This is not necessarily about the two teams. They're not very good right now, um, but. Crystal Palace and Brighton. Okay, um, this is a twenty-three derby. This is for the culture. This is for the culture, guys. Okay, Crystal. So this isn't even necessarily an old derby either. This is not our old rivalry, excuse me. But this is like a, this is something that's been born out of team like coaches and players not liking each other in the sixties and seventies, and essentially like changing the nicknames of teams and <laughs> and the fact that they don't like each other. You know, so. You know, Crystal Palace has been around for over 100 years. Same thing with Brighton. They've been around for, both have been around for a really long time. Okay, Brighton were initially, Brighton Hove Albion were initially called the Dolphins. Okay, that was their initial nickname. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, um, And Crystal Palace are the Eagles, and they're based off of this uh, building that they built for exhibitions called the Crystal Palace. And they have all kinds of crazy exhibitions and, and greenery, and then they have all these, like, fields around it. And essentially, that's kind of where they've been born and, and um, and brought up um, after the Crystal Palace was um, torn down or uh, you know demolished, um, um, they kept the name and have been there ever since in some way. Um, and so the the rivalry between these two teams doesn't really start until about the 1970s, okay? And it was it goes between uh, a guy, uh, a Brighton coach named Alan Mallory and a coach Terry Venables of Crystal Palace. They were teammates at Tottenham back in the day, and Terry Venables was the second in command to Mullery, who was the captain of Tottenham, and they did not like each other very much. Did not like each other. And and that'll uh, come up. Yeah, and so <laughs> what ended up happening is is that these two these two players, uh, former players, have become coaches, and you know, they played. They've been they played each other quite a bit in the lower leagues and hated each other, um, and they would do whatever they could to um, to get one over on each other. And it got to a point where the hate had become so vile that, um, you know, there were there were you know, you know, talks of like one one team going taking out another team, and and all of these <laughs> things. You know, there's like a famous FA Cup tie where, um, I think it was like a penalty was, um, you know, like penalty had to be retaken for some reason. And, and, you know, like, there's been some, like, skullduckery happening. <laughs> and it got to a point where, the, like, the fans, you could sense the fans really enjoyed it. And they started kind of getting at each other and hating each other. And they were like, that looks like fun. We should right. hate each other, too. Right. And, it, it, you know, it's very interesting. It got worse. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, Brighton changed their name from the Dolphins to the Seagulls. And they changed it to the Seagulls because it rhymes with Eagles, so then they can you know, so you they know, can sing their songs. They can sing their songs and shit on Tristan House, <laughs> which is, I love it. It's fascinating and weird and, and stuff. And, like you know, they just decided, we're going to be the Seagulls because it rhymes with Eagles yeah. and we hate the Eagles. Yeah, and Brighton is right by the sea, so it's kind of perfect. It's like right on the south yeah. coast. So like, you know, Seagulls, Brighton, and it's just, and also just a weird nickname for a team. Who wants to be called the Seagulls? No one does. Seagulls are, you know. Trash pigeons. Sea <laughs> trash pigeons. <laughs> In a way, yeah. It's just like, it's a, I mean, it is a, they are, can be beautiful creatures, but I, and I don't want to disparage them too much, but it's just a weird thing to be called, you know? And they eat trash. It gets, <laughs> they do eat trash. But here's the other thing that's interesting, too, is that this whole thing between Mullery and uh, Venables, um, it goes on after Venables left Crystal Palace, because Ven- Venables ended up having a great coaching career, coached England for a period mm-hmm. of time. He was, I think, he, he coached one of the big, big teams as well, like some of the big clubs in, in Europe. Gotcha. Mullery, after Venables left, I think a couple of years after Venables left, Mullery left Brighton and coached Crystal Palace for a couple of years, <laughs> and then that was a disaster. I guess, uh, I guess, like uh, you know, there was a lot of criticism from the Crystal Palace fans, like, why are you signing? Why are you signing our hated, yeah, we hate this hated guy. coach? He was there <laughs> for two years and he was sacked, and he actually went back to Brighton again for a couple of years, and it was sort of fascinating. Um, to see that and then you don't actually hear anything about it because in the 90s Brighton went way down um, they went down to the fourth division almost was out of the football league altogether in England 
Um, they finished 91st out of the 92 teams in England two years in a row, 97, 98. <laughs> so you didn't hear much between those two teams. And then I would say in the mid-2000s, they had a few games in the championship. Um, and then Crystal Palace was back up to the Premier League, and they didn't hear about them again until about the early 2010s or so. And then that's where the rivalry really started to be reborn because finally Brighton had put everything together. They built a new stadium, and they're back in the, they're in the Premier League again, um, or they're back in the top division, and now they're playing Crystal Palace regularly. So there's this rivalry that's kind of this hatred being seen again, and it's, it's just a very interesting, weird thing. And, um, the A23 Derby. The A23 Derby because Eagles and Seagulls, bitches. That's what it's about. <laughs> uh, I personally love this story because uh, because the actual name of the of the town or city is Brighton and Hove Albion. That is the it's it's such a British name and I love it. Thank you everyone for listening to the Coffee House Football Cast. Um, this is Paul, and he is Ryan, and we will preview next week, uh, which will have uh, some of the Champions League matches, some of the Europa League matches, and we'll talk about the constant existential threat of Newcastle as they play Wolves, and then Arsenal will be playing Leicester, and I think it's Chelsea and Manchester United next week too, which we'll That'll be interesting. A preview as well. Um, please come back next week, and we hope to have you listening soon. Yeah, please. Please come back. Ha, 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 ha.